Hey everyone, welcome to episode 159 of the End Focus podcast. I'm your host, Andy Corrigan. Uh, with me as always is Andrew Brown. Drums. Da, 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 da. Trumpets. Da, 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 Lyrics. So here I am, doing everything I can, holding on to what I am, pretending I'm a Superman. Why do I sound so much better in the shower? <laughs> the acoustics, for sure. Um, and uh, yeah, for a second, I thought you were just stalling for time because Tori's not here through illness. Um, so hopefully she'll be back next week uh wish her all the best um that means uh it's your turn to be off sick next week i think andrew uh, i'm gonna hold off that sick day for a little while if that's all right with you yep okay uh just make sure you book it in ahead of, ahead of time um no <laughs> uh and this week uh, andrew's gonna give us his closing thoughts on ender lily's quietus of the nights uh we're gonna talk about that uh, oled nintendo switch uh i'm gonna talk about metro last light uh, and the Outer Worlds, uh, while Andrew's going to give us the lowdown on Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 1 and 2 and its Switch performance. We were going to be talking about Monster Hunter Stories 2, Wings of Ruin, but uh, I'm not bothering, sort of a last-minute decision. Uh, and with Tori out, we're going to save it for next week and, and kind of make it the feature of next week when when both people have had a lot more time to play it than, than the four hours they've probably had. So I think you've, have you started it, Andrew? I started it on Friday. Um, beautiful game. Pretty happy with it so far, but I can definitely tell that this is based off a 3DS game. There's a lot of mechanics that are like, this is meant for a portable game. So <laughs> we'll, we'll see how it goes in the long run. So uh, we'll, yeah, we'll come back to that next week. Okay. Uh, so with that, let's uh, move on to updates from the previous episode. Okay, Andrew, just your update this week, uh, and that is the Ender Lilies, Quietus of the Nights. Uh, I think you finished it in between recording the last one. I did, and I just wanted to circle back around to some of my comments about it. Uh, I, I was a little hard on the level design. I don't think it was quite as bad as I was making it out to be. Um, a word I intended to use, I don't know if I actually used it, but it was a word that came to me as I was playing it was amateurish. It, it's not that bad. It's just, it's very plain. Like like I said, there are a lot of right angles. Everything is a square, basically. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that, was the, that was the route they went, and I, I didn't really change my mind about that, but it, it's less of a knock against it now, I feel. Uh, it didn't affect the game as much as I, I really assumed it was going to. I, I barely mm -hmm. noticed after a while. And then the boss fights. Uh, the, the boss fights in the latter half of the game, they get pretty intense, and that was when I, I really started to respect the game and what it was doing. Uh, and some of the incidental enemies between areas, they can get pretty tough as well. That, that was when I really started engaging with the game, but it does take quite a few hours to get to that point, so that, that's maybe not the best. It would be nice if the fighting was interesting you know, right from the start. Whereas in the early parts of the games, the enemies are pretty simple. It's pretty easy to dodge their attacks. They can still kill you pretty darn quick, but it, it's not all that difficult to, to avoid them. But then the bosses in the latter half of the game, they just become absolutely incredible to the point that I decided after I got the bad ending and the good ending and said, I'm going to try to 100% complete this. Helped by the fact that the map actually shows you which rooms you haven't found all the collectibles in. So it's a, it's a bit easier in this kind of game versus 
you know, in, in some of the Metroid games or in Hollow Knight or in games like that where uh, it doesn't necessarily show you if there's something in a room that you've missed. And I got enough of the collectibles to do the true final boss, and the true final boss doesn't actually fight you all that much. It just summons these really tanky flying enemies that just shoot lasers at you that take out more than half your life in one hit. And then I started to resent the game again. <laughs> so I decided, you know what? <laughs> I'm not enjoying this. I don't need to get the best ending. I got the bad ending. I got the good ending. I saw 95%, 98% of this game's content. I'm good. I'm moving on. Uh, (laughs) So even though there was a moment in the past week where I I realized this game is better than I was giving it credit for, uh, I, I have since backslid a little bit towards going this is this is an average adventure platformer it's not gonna blow your mind but it's worth your time if you're a genre fan uh and i think that's the only update really um so with that we'll move on to the big announcement of the week which is the oled switch okay so yeah just uh out of nowhere and with no ceremony uh, nintendo released their trailer for the uh oled nintendo switch unsurprised by the ceremony uh once we saw the trailer personally so um it wasn't the beefy upgrade we were all anticipating or that was being reported uh, prior to e3 what it does include is a 7 inch 720p oled screen uh, it has a better uh, adjustable stand uh, better than the kickstand certainly um the dock is new that has a built-in ethernet port probably aimed at those uh, smash players comes with more storage internally 64 gigabyte uh, and some enhanced audio which is you know a hard thing to gauge until you've got it in your hands and you can hear it but yeah other than that it's a switch it's compatible with all the joy cons all the games um no cpu or ram improvements i imagine the battery will be uh, better than my launch one because I, I know they improved that in later revisions so Mm -hmm. that's a thing to consider and the oled screen is also supposed to be less battery consuming because each oled pixel on a screen lights itself whereas the switch Mm -hmm. as it is now has a backlight and uh i don't know much about video game hardware but one thing i do know is backlights eat batteries instantly like you turn Mm. a backlight on your battery is just gone so (laughs) that's a, a big difference between the two uh, so yeah, but they they fixed none of the problems uh, that the the switch has. So we're, we're still looking at drifty Joy Cons. You've got a note here. You're the other one affected by most of these. The uh, the third party mounts like flip grip and fixture are no longer uh, compatible because of its uh, extra width. Slightly bigger screen, I think. <laughs> it's a, it, so. well, it's a seven inch screen versus the current switch, which is a six point two inch screen, which is mm. not much, and yet given the size of the screen, is a lot. Uh, and mm-hmm. as a result of that, the switch is all of three millimeters wider, which again is <laughs> not much. Uh, but in the context of you know using the flip grip or the the fixture S one, which are both plastic cradles that are very specifically designed to hold the original switch, not going to fit in those. So mm-hmm. you would break either your switch or you would break uh, your mount that you're trying to put it in. Hopefully the latter. Uh, trying to cram it in there so i just i wouldn't recommend it yeah so um i my my worry is because i i bought an extra dock for my office so i could you know dock between the living room and my my home office and i want to know if it's going to work with the old docks that that's a consideration for me i haven't seen any news on that yet uh considering it's the same basic dock i'm kind of hopeful we'll we'll see how that pans out likelihood of us upgrading uh what about you are you going to get one I've been concerned about 
what I've been hearing about screen burn, but I'm, I'm always concerned about screen burn. Like, uh, I've been worried about it on my TVs, although I haven't had it happen to my TV. Uh, my PC that I'm working with right now, it doesn't get bad screen burn, but I do see ghost images of what I've been looking at, especially if it's white, like a white web page or something. I, I will see mm-hmm. the, the text on that page for a few minutes afterwards. Then it seems to fade away, it, like heals itself away. So I'm not too sure what's actually happening with my computer in that case but uh any kind of screen burn on a switch would be a deal breaker for me and Mm -hmm. like one thing i I read was is that if it's not a problem if you don't play games for long periods of time it's like do do you know who i am do you know how i play games (laughs) (laughs) like a a five or six hour session is a light session for me on weekends (laughs) yeah uh, i probably wouldn't consider it if it wasn't for the fact that my uh, fans on my launch switch are getting a bit whiny, insert joke about whiny Nintendo fans. Yeah, I'm just worried it's kind of getting to the point where I'll have to upgrade it at some point. Uh, so, you know, may as well be the, the latest and greatest. I am disappointed it's not the uh, the Grantier iteration, but uh, as you've got in the notes, probably saved us from it being called the new Nintendo Switch. Um, yeah. So yeah, uh, just a bit underwhelming, but... Uh, yeah, it's out there now. I wasn't worried about being whelmed at all. And like, I'm still on the base Switch Model 2. Mine is from launch day. And I've already had mm-hmm. one catastrophic hardware failure with it that I had to get repaired. <laughs> uh, so it's got the smaller storage space, which really isn't that big a deal. I've got big SD cards. Uh, but it's got the lower battery life would be the other thing that I'd be worried about right now, especially since I've had uh, changes in my circumstances lately where I'm likely in the near future once covid is finally uh, a part of our past history when th- when that happens <laughs> sometime soon here <laughs> uh I-, I will be playing a switch a lot more portably so that's an attractive reason for me to upgrade as well so i'm concerned about mm-hmm. the screen burn i'm gonna probably wait to see like firsthand appraisals of the new unit but I- i'm likely to get one of these soon yeah of course the uh, original vita had uh oled screen and i, I never experienced any problems with that in terms of uh, ghosting or screen burn or anything so hopeful so yeah so that's that uh, so with that we'll just uh, move on to the things we've been playing okay uh, i'll go first so i talked in my last episode which was two episodes ago uh, about uh, metro 2033 the redux edition i was playing that I had was very close to finishing it i finished it that night of the recording and i you know i said i was enjoying it quite a bit more than my original uh playthrough back on the xbox 360 um, i actually did some research on that and the redux version is more than just a graphical upgrade it's got some of the mechanics from the sequel last light included in it because they they moved it over to the same engine uh some of the uh environmental designs are quite different and even some of the item placements have changed completely and i found that out because there was a level where i'd run out of filters and i was trying to race through trying to find some before i you know choked to death and uh, i looked up a guide to figure out where some were and they were nowhere to be seen and then that's what that led me to figure out that oh wait a second they've they've shuffled things around a little bit so um i think the redux part of that whole package is probably also part of why i enjoyed it uh, a bit more um i i reckon if i went back to play the original version the handling would be quite different and in and the new one would be more in line with last light so with that though uh last light uh that was uh 
much like with my original playthroughs, uh, Last Light is definitely a big improvement on the first game. It does suffer from the same pacing problems as the first game, but they get less intrusive in the second half. This story follows the same protagonist uh, and focuses on his actions at the end of uh, the previous game. Um, what is interesting with that is there are good endings and bad endings, and then it picks one to be canonical. So if you've just, you know, got the ending that it hasn't decided to run with, it could be a bit confusing moving to the next one. The story uh, is a bit more interesting in terms of uh, like the repercussions of uh, Artyom, he's the main character, uh, of his choices and what they mean and his relationship with the the enemies. It get, I, I don't want to spoil it in case people haven't played it before, but it it's almost like a... Um, I want to liken it to Halo 2, where you get a look at how the other side uh, operates. Uh, maybe not quite as directly, but yeah, th this thing's going into the sequel that will uh, surprise anyone who who just went along with the first story's uh, plot without, you know, questioning things or reading between the lines. The thing that I realised halfway through the second game is that uh, Artyom in-game is a completely silent protagonist, but on loading screens he has a voice actor. And that is a really weird uh, disconnect because he just won't shut up during the loading screens, but he can be in actual conversation with NPCs and it's just blank, which is a really weird design decision. Like, if you're going to hire a voice actor for him, just have him engage in the conversation. Like, you, you have moments of agency, but nothing that would, you know, require Artyom to make a decision or, you know, drastically change what you would think of him. Uh, just really bizarre it sort of sits bang in the middle of you know like a half-life situation and you know a different game where people just keep talking i i can't explain that um into the combat though the combat is way more expensive feels a lot more tactical the human fights again are absolutely the highlight uh, as they are smart they will press you you can use stealth and trick them and you know, there's a lot of ways to interact with the combat with the humans, uh, but the creature fights still suck massively and still devolve into just walking backwards and using up all your ammo. Now, they have introduced several, like, creature bosses uh, in the sequel that I think are the attempt to solve that uh, creature combat problem, um, but they're... <laughs> I appreciate the effort, but they're mostly just meat shields or they play out with, you know, mechanics that we've we've seen a million times in in other games and done better yeah they're, they're, they're not massively impressive and, and once you get the trick they're, they're pretty easy um they still i've, I've been playing a metro a metro exodus uh over the last two days i'm probably like five to six hours into that and that's a problem they still haven't solved even going into like the next next generation and in that they've they've even added like humanoid mutants and they're even worse so i i for me it's still a problem it's the least interesting part of the game the only other thing I wanted to talk about, though, was like last week, sorry, my last episode when I talked about Metro 2033, I talked about the filters, uh, where if you're above ground or in an, a, a dangerous radiated area, you need to keep swapping the filter on your gas mask. And there was a lot of times where I was like running low. And in that first game, it puts on you a, you know, like a dilemma between exploration and survival. Uh, if you run out of uh, gas, you'll die. To keep alive, you need to find the filters. To find the filters, you need to explore. And you're not always rewarded with the filters at every turn. So that left me wanting to explore the levels thoroughly, leaving myself short 
on uh, breathing apparatus and then struggling to get through certain parts of the level. And just overall, it's like the first game is really stingy with the filters. Uh, in the second game, uh, they are just thrown at you constantly. You're, you never at a loss for them. You'll trip over them. If you kill enemies above ground, you'll be able to take them off their masks. Like it, it, it was so easy to keep on top of it that it felt like a pointless mechanic. And there's a there's another point in the game where you get a NPC companion and they just keep finding them for you and handing them to you at regular points. Um, so it was just f- funny to see how the two games differed in terms of filter economy and how both failed at making it uh, an interesting solution. And I think in the end, I think I think I preferred the first game's approach because it at least gave me like interesting choices and then i had repercussions to those whereas the second game was was just a little bit easier to manage that so yeah overall it is a better game it's a better paced game particularly in the second half uh the story is uh, a lot more interesting and just the the gunplay itself was the thing that that kept me coming back to it yeah but uh overall liked it i i think it's worth checking them out especially if you can pick them up on sale and you haven't played them before. So, Andrew, Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 1 and 2, you've been checking that out. Very interested to hear how that runs. Well, it runs pretty well. So if you're a fan, go buy it. Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 1 plus 2 is a remake of the first two Tony Hawk's Pro Skater video games. And I I say that like people should know what that means. And I, I come to realize it's been... 10 12 13 years since there's actually been a decent tony hawks pro skater game released there have been releases but they haven't been very good and they've kind of been uh, actually infamously bad among uh fans of the series so uh once upon a time these were like mega popular huge games that popularized extreme sports among a generation of people there are several skateboarders today who will credit this game as getting them into professional skateboarding. Uh, so mm-hmm. that's something nice to say for them. And it, it took Activision, you know, our, our, our friends at Activision, uh, <laughs> <laughs> a really long time for them to do justice by this uh, IP that they've had for the longest time. But they finally did it here. Uh, th- this combines both games kind of awkwardly into a single game it still divides the two games up into their own campaigns but you play both campaigns with one character uh and that character is not considered you know finished or beaten until you've done both of them so it's it's basically taking both the games and turning them into one longer game although it's still rather short the tony hawk series has evolved quite a bit over the years and i think given the age group of the average person who plays games especially nintendo games they're probably more familiar with the more recent ones that were more sandbox based and you know you you go out into a map and you find people with exclamation points above their heads they give you a mission and you do the mission Uh, that is not what classic tony hawk was like and these games go back to classic tony hawk where you pick uh, a skate park which is based on either a real location like downtown new york or downtown san francisco or both games had a version of a school like a, a north american urban high school and they're both really good levels and they're both here in this game as well so they're called school one and school two now and uh there's a number of goals that you have to accomplish there's a multiple score levels you have to reach by doing tricks 
and you can earn points by you know hitting quarter pipes and doing like an indie or i i i, I, I would get too bogged down explaining what all this is uh, but just doing tricks <laughs> grab tricks flip tricks uh, or the the more popular and recognizable grinds and manuals which is where you do a you pop a wheelie basically and go over a stretch of ground there are more interesting challenges than that as well like there will be uh the letters to spell skate hidden in every level and usually uh, some kind of unique goal hidden in each level that you have to find so just different collectibles related to the level that you have to gather all of them and you have to do all of these things in a single two minute run so you, you have to retry a lot unless you really know what you're doing and there's a light rpg elements and this again involves finding actual stat points that are hidden around the levels and then you can distribute them to your character and you can make them so they can balance on a rail longer or jump higher in the air or move faster if you're new to the game let me just tell you up front max out your speed stat first just pro tip there the interesting thing about these games is uh, all the future abilities have been retroactively added to tony hawk one and two uh, so manualing was added in Tony Hawk Pro Skater 2, and that was that was a big thing because then you could grind a rail, then manual to the next rail, and then grind that rail, and then manual into a quarter pipe, and then do a trick up the quarter pipe and land again. Tony Hawk Pro Skater 1 didn't have that, but now playing those levels, you can do that, which really changes up how you play that. And then even abilities that were added after Tony Hawk Pro Skater 2, like the revert and freestyling, where you, you change what grind or what manual you're doing uh, by putting in a button combination without actually leaving the rail, that has all been added in too. So all those tricks that you can do to score hundreds of thousands and even millions of points in a single combo, you can now do those in these two games that it really it wasn't possible to do them in the original releases. So if you're Tony Hawk Pro... Uh, you're going to just completely destroy the content that's here in these games. <laughs> they have given new things to do, and I'll get to that in a little bit. Uh, they've added all kinds of new skaters. Uh, the entire original roster is here, which is fine. Uh, but they've added new skaters to offset the original's overwhelming white maleness. Uh, there's no other way to put that. <laughs> there was Ulysses Steamer was the one woman, and there was... Um, a black skater whose name unfortunately escapes me at the moment but they've added all of those original characters are here and they've also added new characters there's more women there's more people of color there's more international skaters there's one non-binary skater so in trying to eliminate the original's tokenism you've introduced another token good job <laughs> <laughs> but they they tried i guess here's your you tried cake enjoy <laughs> but as as for the new things to do they've added new collectibles there's a vicarious visions logo hidden in each level that usually isn't that hard to find it's just usually a little bit higher up above the regular collectibles you need a little more effort to reach it and much more elusive is the alien plushies there's an alien plushie hidden in every level you find all of these you get a new reward uh more significant for the new content they've added a ranked tour mode well, this is where they've put the free skate in the single session, which were in the original games, and those are just like arcade modes where you just point chase. But the new, new thing here is the speedrun mode where you play the, the campaign goals in a single run and you try to do them as fast as you can, which I, I think is a really nice spin on that mode. Uh, so like, if you were one of those people who was so good at the hangar that you could uh, clear all the goals in the hangar in a single session, 
Uh, that was the first level in Tony Hawk Pro Skater 2. They've actually put in a special mode just for doing that. And it's not just for the hangar. You can do it on every single map now. So that that's a really attractive thing for veterans of the game, I feel. Now, in addition to these new things to do, there's a load of metagame stuff. And people who know me, Andy knows me, I love mm-hmm. metagame progression. <laughs> so there's <laughs> profile experience levels. The more you play, the more your profile experience level builds up. Even if you do a really bad run, you'll still earn some experience points getting your profile level built up. I don't know if it caps out at some point, but I'm at like level 49 now and I've only finished the game with one and a half characters. So uh, I assume it's going to go much higher than I am right now. More interesting are the challenges. There are almost 900 challenges I think I have to do and just some of the challenges I've listed here some of the more ridiculous ones grind for 10 hours total land 10,000 flip tricks some of these get really specific land a 60,000 point combo using the hard flip late flip special flip while playing as Andrew Reynolds land a 50,000 point combo in downtown with the wimpy gap without grinding so there's just (laughs) this massive list of things like that to keep you busy if uh, you know you love these games as a kid and you want to come back to them Uh, also a nice quality of life feature the tours the two tours through the first game and the second game have been divided up into team play and solo career team play is like progression for everybody and like the first time you play the game that's what you're doing you're doing team play then after that, you can do a solo career where you're starting the character over. You, their stats go back to zero and all the goals. They have to start the goals from the beginning, and you have to do that with every single character in the game. And with the new skaters, there's over 20 now. So that was actually how the original games worked. When you when you beat the game with a character, great. You did it with that character. Now go back and do it with the other dozen that are in there. So that was really where the length of the game came from because if you know what you're doing... Like, the first time you play through these games, if you're just learning, it's going to take you 10 to 15 hours maybe to do everything. If you know what you're doing, you can blow through it in 4 to 5 quite easily. Probably even faster than that if you're better than I am. And uh, in these challenges, there's also lots of multiplayer emphasis. So if you really want to get everything, you're going to want a Nintendo Switch Online sub. But the multiplayer in this game, it, it isn't too hostile like it is you competing against another player and like if you don't score as many points as they do then you you lost but it's pretty freeing you're basically just going around just doing your own thing and then it compares how you both did at the end of the match it's not it's not that humiliating to lose really it's not like mortal Kombat where (laughs) you just you you pop into a multiplayer game and get destroyed by somebody who's been playing these games their entire life it's not like that so you, you don't have to be stressed about it too much uh, the character creator, I feel, is very weak by modern standards. I tried to recreate myself. My character, when I loaded up the character creator, started off as a woman. Uh, and my character still has a woman's voice for some reason. I couldn't figure out how to change that. <laughs> so um, <laughs> that's a problem for me because I was trying to recreate me. But like, if you're the sort of person who wants to have a man's body with a woman's voice, like if, if you identify with that, you can do that. What I'm saying is I, I don't know how i did it <laughs> it's a it's a weak <laughs> character creator and just the the costumes and a, the uh different apparel you can buy for your character just none of it really appealed to me this might just be a culture disconnect here where i just i don't identify with the sort of clothes that skateboarders wear so uh yeah no big deal but does i just feel it's a, a weak character creator the park editor however the i haven't 
played with it yet, but it's the same park editor that's in the other versions of the games, and this is the park editor that we wanted on these games in the early 2000s, but that park editor was pathetic. You couldn't do anything with it, and this, you can you can do a lot of interesting stuff. Uh, just like I said, I, I haven't played with it yet, so I can't give firsthand examples, but just look at what people online have made. You can You can make that mega rail you imagined in the original game but weren't actually able to make because the tools were not there <laughs> it's the park editor of your dreams finally uh, how is it on switch uh, docked my switch sounded like a ps4 at one point it was making that jet engine sound i couldn't believe how loud it was being like i heard a noise and i looked around <laughs> and was like oh my god that's my switch doing that <laughs> so uh it, it might be really pushing itself because uh this game was released originally for the competing consoles, which are much more powerful. Uh, I don't know what they did to get it running on this, but uh, it, it seems to be really putting the Switch through its paces. But I haven't had any crashes, haven't noticed any slowdown or any input errors or anything like that. So it seems to be a good port. Uh, I'm just I'm concerned what it, it might do to your Switch hardware if you play it for long periods of time. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I did try playing it handheld a little bit. I struggled with the mini button transitions on the small Joy-Con buttons, like my my finger in trying to go from Ollie to like a flip trick or to a grab trick. Kept bumping into the right joystick because it was just getting in my way. Uh, this is probably just more a complaint about controllers in general because like even playing on my Pro Controller, I'm like, I, I can do this, but it doesn't feel as natural as it used to. And I started thinking about it. Most of the Tony Hawk games I played, I actually played on GameCube, and the GameCube controller was, like, perfect for playing Tony Hawk games. It was kind of incredible that uh, that giant green button and then the other three buttons were positioned around it mm -hmm. worked really well for Tony Hawk and wasn't actually designed for Tony Hawk. It just, it just happened to line up perfectly where the big green button was the button you press to speed up and to jump and then the other buttons do your other tricks and they are positioned so it's really hard to press the wrong one whereas on a modern controller or even on a contemporary controller back when these games were new they were just the same size buttons just put in a cross shape and yeah, hit, hitting the grind button was it could be a pretty good stretch and yeah it, it, it's a i miss the gamecube controller i wish i could play this with a gamecube <laughs> controller uh, uh, all in all, uh, I, I think I can easily recommend this for fans. I, I really, I can't say how this would serve as an introduction to new players, especially since it goes back to that very, you know, arcade style two minute runs. And that's really the only way you can interact with the game. Whereas the later games turned it more into a, an adventure game where you just explore a sandbox. I, I, I do want to say, like, I, I can't speak for other people, but I'm going to. Uh, I, I do think that more of sandbox style does resonate more with people today, but they've gone back to the classics, and that was what I wanted out of it, so I'm happy with it. So, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, Ho hopefully they'll keep developing it. Like, uh, I, I'd be totally down to play Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 3 and 4 now, so mm -hmm. ho hopefully this does well and that happens, because uh, I said few episodes back i think tony hawk pro skater 2 i would rate as one of my all-time favorite games and revisiting it here especially with all that new metagame progression on top of it i was like yes i i, I see what i meant i still love this <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah so it's definitely one i'm interested in um just couldn't justify it because it's the sort of game i'll dip in and out of and playing short bursts i don't think i could do a, the the big sessions that you you did on it but um yeah uh so 
yeah, good port for anyone that wants to, to play that on Switch and play it portably. Probably uh, finally uh, overtaking the Game Boy Advance versions as the best portable versions. Those games were surprisingly excellent as well. I've had, I had mm-hmm. several of them too. And uh, if you're wondering how that was possible, they did it isometric and it worked mm-hmm. so well. <laughs> it was frightening how good those games were on Game Boy Advance. <laughs> uh, okay, so uh, back to me. Uh, for the last game we're going to talk about this week, which is The Outer Worlds. Held off picking it up for a while because the uh, Switch port reviews were pretty lukewarm on launch. Uh, basically, they said that it worked, but was, you know, far inferior to other consoles, which is, you know, I always joke about that to being a, a, a non-criticism, you know, when you're saying something doesn't run as well on less powerful hardware but the developers have been working at it and continually patching it and improving little bits uh, such as re-adding the skyboxes and clouds and you know improving the streaming processes and tweaking with settings just to make make it that little bit better so i've jumped in i haven't had any problems with it so far i'm happy to be playing it on switch i for context i haven't played it on pc i've got it installed on one ready to go i will do that comparison after i finish the switch version but uh, yeah, without having that prior history with it, uh, I'm, I'm happy with it so far. Uh, so The Outer Worlds is set in an alternative future setting. Uh, in this one, William McKinley is never assassinated. Uh, so lots of things happen. Uh, something, something, space travel. Basically, a load of trade unions or something were, were not forced to, to break up as they were in real life. And this uh, eventually led to them uh, owning a solar system called the Halcyon System where several big corporations own everything and they rule over everyone's lives, much like Earth. Uh, So you are a self-insert who's on a lost stasis ship who was travelling to the Halcyon. It's called the Hope. No one knows where it is. Uh, But eventually you're unfrozen and rescued by a rogue scientist called Phineas Wells, uh, who is your first mission giver, and he's, he's the one that drives you to play through all the missions and uh he basically needs chemicals to help unthaw everyone else that's trapped on the hope uh he sends you down to your first planet which is called terror 2 uh where you're meant to meet a contact who's going to lead you through the first mission but he gets wizard of oz uh under the pod as you land so it's, it's a bit of a silly start uh and that's kind of uh, typical of the game overall doesn't take itself seriously at all uh, much of the humor is anti-corporation obviously you're in a, a solar system that is all about big corporations uh the first settlement you go to uh everyone has to pay for their own graves from their own wages which is you know not a big stretch from from the truth but one of your early missions is that you have to go collect the grave fees from people uh part of that questline uh, you go to uh, collect charges from someone and then you find out that it's not there not actually for their grave you do it a bit a bit of digging and you find out it's one of their colleagues who committed suicide and the company space's choice deem that as uh, damaged company property the surviving members then have to fit the bill to pay for his grave that instantly sets the tone as a as an anti-corporation game and that runs through every choice you make and a lot of them boil down to do you want to help the employees or do you want to help the faceless organization i always enjoy a good uh, anti-corporation theme when they were developing this uh microsoft bought sorry the developers are obsidian i should have said that at the beginning um microsoft bought obsidian just before the game launched long after it was uh nearly done um so i it's weird how that anti-corporation theme hits now that they're owned by a big corporation 
and you know one that's more responsible than some of the others for modern day corporation things like you know microtransactions and uh, you know cancelling big projects and uh, all that uh, fun stuff that get, get that gets everyone annoyed. Um, so in a way, playing Outer Worlds feels like it's a punk band that sold out. Um, interested to see how the Outer Worlds two will play out in the face of that. Uh, the trailer at E3 was pretty tongue-in-cheek, but also then made fun of uh, everything, all the other trailers in Microsoft's presentation. So, yeah, I don't know how, how they're going to go with that. On to how it actually plays. Uh, so if I was to give it a reductive gameplay summary, it's like a higher-speed Fallout, but with a dash of Mass Effect. Um, so the uh, mission structures, the conversation trees, the graphics, the handling all completely ripped out from uh, modern-day Fallout. Uh, these are the developers who did Fallout New Vegas, uh, in case you weren't aware. Um, and this is kind of like the spiritual successor to that. Uh, the Mac Mass Effect comparisons come in in a couple of forms. Basically, how you travel the systems is one of them, but also the companions that you pick up along the way and how you use their skills. There are also uh, companion quests to follow where you learn more about them and, and help them out. And, you know, there's... A lot to say about the comparisons there. Like Fallout, you can do much of the game without pulling the trigger if, if you want to invest your stats in talky tree decisions. But the combat when you do pull, pull the trigger is a lot more fun uh, than Fallout. I've got this thing with Fallout where I, I really love the combat and I love the, the VAT system, but it's kind of like I accept that it only exists because Fallout's handling is not up to the standards of, a, standards of an FPS, and it's kind of also trying to appease old Fallout fans. So Outer Worlds doesn't really have that legacy hanging over it, but it, it does have a, a VATS-like system called Time Dilation. Everything slows down, um, and instead of you know choosing to target certain parts of an enemy's body, you know you aim the shot and take it yourself. Uh, this is actually still how you inflict status elements. So hitting an enemy in the head will blind them. Hitting hitting them in the leg will slow them down for a few seconds. So yeah, it's 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 kind of weird. It feels a lot like Fallout, but the gunplay is a lot smoother and a lot more enjoyable. Even in the Switch port, we'll get onto the performance in a second. And the other thing is uh, moving from Fallout Three to Fallout Four. Uh, they got rid of weapon degradation. And I found that to be... I found I enjoyed the missing weapon degradation a lot less than I did Fallout 3. Um, because you end up just picking up a lot of guns. You know, in these these games, you get into that rhythm of just looting everything. And then you end up with a lot of guns that are just identical and you can't do anything with them. Whereas in Fallout 3, you know, you'd, you'd, you'd have your favourite rifle. It would be, you know, on the verge of breaking. You'd pick up another one and then you'd combine them to make one working rifle again gave you a lot of choices in combat and like the moment to moment stuff like do you switch to something you don't use as well just to get you by or do you you know try and fix something up in the the middle of it so weapon degradation is back in uh outer worlds um and i'm quite happy with that because yeah you you pick up a lot of guns as you're you're playing through this and it's nice to be able to use them for things so you can, you know, you destroy them, you use them to repair your guns on the fly, you can use them for other things. It's it's uh, it's just another consideration uh, where you have to, you know, keep an eye on your, your weapon's performance. The more it degrades, the less damage it does. Yeah, I'd, I don't know. It's one of those um, little micromanagey things that I enjoy, and I don't know why. Uh, how are you on weapon degradation, Andrew? I know, I know you, 
you're not fussed with it in um, something like Breath of the Wild, but well, broadly. every game's a little different, and like I could I could justify well, Pendergradation in Breath of the Wild. It would be completely different from my justification for it in Fallout Three and New Vegas. Do um, mm-hmm. you know I got a platinum trophy in Fallout Four, and I can't remember exactly how the weapon. <laughs> <laughs> the weapon system in that works my, my memory is weapons don't degrade and you could yeah, swap in, you, you could swap in mods form so that was the reason to pick up other things mm-hmm. and so all i was really picking up in fallout 4 was just scrap that i could use with the crafting system i think and then mm-hmm. yeah uh honestly uh in, in the fallout series entirely and in fallout 3 and new vegas especially i barely remember even noticing the weapon degradation systems so uh and i i played these games multiple times and for hundreds mm-hmm. of hours so it's definitely something i have dealt with but not something that once made a memorable problem for me so mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> i i don't think they're a big deal clearly yeah i, th- I think if it, if it caused you problems you would remember that <laughs> but also in like fallout 3 in new vegas when you when you did fix a weapon with a with another one it had this awesome like um packing tape noise i remember that weird, sound effect <laughs> yeah weird happy memory that i have of playing those games so yeah so that uh is pretty much it oh yeah during combat as well you can uh either while you're slowing it's easier when you're you're in time dilation of course but you can point at an enemy and use one of your character's special skills so like one of them will jump in with a big hammer that knocks enemies down for a few seconds another one will pull out a heavy machine gun reload and just unload in slow motion uh if you hit good shots you've still got the awesome and i never get tired of this in any of the fallout games or this is when it you know you crack a good headshot and it just takes it like a director's camera angle of that love that i don't, I don't know why anyone would want to turn that off but yeah the, the combat is is fantastic and the fact that it's like a better version of fallout's combat is just yeah that that's the aspect i'm really enjoying on this I haven't quite finished it yet. I think I'm about halfway through, judging by the number of locations I've unlocked. Uh, I believe it is a shorter game in that they want you to play it a couple of times to sort of see all the outcomes to your decisions. So I think it's like 30 hours where something like Fallout 50, 60, 70, if, you, if you're really being thorough and, and exploring everything. Um, oh, yeah, the, the one thing I probably should mention is uh, because it's done in a planetary system, like Fallout typically has one massive map with loads of like buildings that you'll it'll have a load transition to take you into uh this has lots of little open world areas and that is that sort of helps i think with the performance angle but i also think it helps in terms of uh you know you don't feel like you're traipsing traipsing along with nothing to find it sort of condenses things a little more makes it feel a bit more lived in a bit more uh, impactful there are a couple of emptier like maps but yeah and each each planet seems to have like several landing spots which is a whole new map itself um, so just structurally, it's a little different um, exploration-wise. So the performance, which is the the thing, was the reason that drove me to actually try it on Switch was because I had a curiosity about the performance. Uh, it's on version 1.4 at the moment. Uh, honestly, I'm not mad at it at all. Um, it seems to have a dynamic resolution uh, where uh, it looks broadly less blurry than other AAA ports. For example, Wolfenstein uh, 2, which did get you know a patch to help clear it up a little bit but as you sort of wander into wider or busier open areas you will notice that slight additional blur on things in the distance um and it feels like they're focusing entirely on uh, performance given the combat's a lot better 
Uh, so it's always a smooth experience. It's that thing where, like, you, you know, you'll load it for the first time, you'll go, oh, it looks pretty good for a Switch port. Then you'll get into, like, a, you know, your first area where it looks a little blurry. And then once you're in the swing of it, you, you won't care. Like, the, the core game and the game loop itself is is fine. Would I have a different opinion if I'd played it on PC first? I don't know. Like, I, I played Wolfenstein 2 on other formats first, and I had a good time with that on Switch as well, so I think it's fine. I mean, obviously, if you're... Um, you can do that thing where if you're, you're staring at a rock as you're walking towards it, and you'll see the the texture transitions as you get closer, like the pop-in is a bit, bit more extreme, but I think once you're in the... You're focusing on the right things, like the combat, and you you won't even notice a lot of that stuff. There is a weird uh, bug though. When you're on your ship, which is called the Unreliable, you will you can you know put your spare guns and equipment into a storage locker. If you put a lot of things in at once, it seems to slow the frame rate down for like five minutes, uh, just yeah. in your ship. <laughs> And like when I've had that slowdown thing on other games, I've been like panicking, ready for the you know the memory leak dr- crash, and I'm like, uh oh. Uh, but it's never come. Like it's it's always just sort of rectified itself after a few minutes, and you know I've, I've gone on my way. It's not crashed once. So yeah, it's weird, weird bug. Um, <laughs> so yeah, uh, to to sum it up, um, yeah, it's it, it's scratching the Fallout itch for me. Uh, Ever since we talked about it on the uh, E3 predictions thing, and I failed at that, I'd I'd been thinking about Fallout a lot, uh, and this has yeah definitely helped scratch that itch a little. Uh, I think I prefer Fallout setting generally, and uh, the the hum the humor is good, the story is good, but it kind of feels a bit insincere <laughs> with with the new ownership. Um, so yeah, uh, that's where I'm on that. Uh, yeah, Andrew, I think you said you were. You're gonna wait for a, a good sale to pick this up, and or, or maybe hope for them to patch it and make it look a bit prettier. I was just starting to feel silly when uh, Outer Worlds came out on Switch last year. Well, a lot of factors. Uh, <laughs> first of all, it, it originally was not going to have a physical release, which then right there I was like, oh well, then forget it. Then it got a physical mm-hmm. release, but it, by then I had moved on. My attention had moved on to other new releases, so uh, I was able to ignore that. Had it actually launched physically at the start, I actually probably would have gotten it. But then I was also starting to feel silly, (laughs) like I was rather bullheadedly picking up what I knew were inferior Switch ports just so I could play them and talk about them on the show. I did that with uh, quite a few games, (laughs) actually. Uh, In some cases, that worked out pretty good, like the Witcher 3 port, which is excellent. And then there there have been some other ones, Mm -hmm. like the Wolfenstein 2 port, and I was like, oh, well... This is technically the complete version of the game, but I, I think I would have enjoyed it more if I had played it on a, uh, a console that was capable of showing it as visually intended. So there was a lot of comparison shots going out around this game when it launched on Switch, and I think that might have poisoned the well for me a little bit, and perhaps a bit unfairly, but... Having said that, I, I still haven't even gotten this on PlayStation 4. I'm waiting for a price drop on it. Mm-hmm. I would I would love to own it on Switch someday because uh, I love Fallout New Vegas. I've recently been enlightened that that game is, is much better than I was giving it credit for. Uh, I, I had some bad experiences replaying Fallout New Vegas that was making me feel rather sour towards it. Then I watched h bomber guys two hour video about how good fallout new vegas was and it's like oh yeah that's right i i I used to believe all these things and then i I just forgot them so (laughs) just just based on that experience now i I would like to play the outer outer worlds and 
I, I am waiting for a good to get it for a good price. But and for that reason, I probably would still rather play it on PS4. But someday, I'm sure I will own it on Switch when uh <laughs> when the Switch is in its twilight years and you can start getting bargains on everything. That's probably when I'll get it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I've I've got game pass ultimate so i could have easily played it on pc and not spent the extra money but i just had that port performance curiosity you know i at least wanted to try it um and a lot of time with these port ports like i think i said when we did um both doom and wolfenstein like should these be the first experiences <laughs> you have with these games probably not but if you're looking for a way to play it portably for a replay why the hell not you know yeah but yeah not unhappy with it at all and i it's um it's filling a a gap i've had a weird um weird spell of wanting to play shooters recently with thanks to the metro games so this was a continuation of that Uh, i also managed to pick up the uh, borderlands legendary collection uh for the for the same price that i did outer worlds uh picked up two copies one for me and my wife so we're gonna play that like at least once a week you know just chip away at some missions every so often uh, yeah, that'll be the the third time I've replayed those games, with the exception of pre sequel, which I've never played. It's worth playing once. I mean, I, I replay the Borderlands series every year, so I, I always revisit the pre sequel. But uh, Borderlands Two is the star. Uh, I I just replay the other ones yeah. just so I basically reinforce how good Borderlands Two is. Because like I play those, it's like, oh yeah, I can <laughs> tell this is Borderlands. Borderlands Two is way better. <laughs> Uh, mm-hmm. and i uh yeah i'm gonna play through the first one for sure but then then i'm gonna break order i'm gonna play pre-sequel because you know just because i've never played it and you know that's where it is on the the borderlands timeline and then end with the the best one i've been pleased with borderlands on switch because it, it finally trained me on how to use motion aiming in a first person shooter uh turns out the trick is to actually turn mm-hmm. the sensitivity down as almost as low as you can that way you just use it for precise aiming until now i've been trying to use it for basically mm-hmm. all of my aiming which is not the way you want to go at least not not personally like the way it really clicked for me for my setup is i use the right joystick still for my my big aiming like actually shifting my view left and right and then once my like laser dot crosshair thingy whatever it is uh is near where i want it then i fine tune it with my super low sensitivity motion controls and i've just been i'm I'm a sniper demon now i love it it's so awesome i uh, can't wait <laughs> to go back and try other uh motion control first person shooters now to see if that trick works in those too yeah I, I had that on exactly the same setup on both metro games uh and on outer worlds um on outer worlds i felt it was better just you, you have the option you can have it on just for when you're doing the iron sights aim Mm-hmm. So, so yeah. it's, you're not you're not wobbling around when you're running or or not, whatever. That works really well uh, for me. So yeah, um, I've been a big fan of the motion control fine tuning since uh, the Uncharted game on Vita. Like I was I was quite dismissive of it going in, and then <laughs> when I tried it, I was like, holy crap! I've never had so many headshots in all my life. Um, so yeah, I've been a big fan of that ever since. So, yeah. Strongly recommend playing. Uh, first best shooters with motion control if you can uh yeah so i think that's it for the episode i don't think you've got anything else to talk about have you nope not i okay andrew what are you playing in the coming week we already know about monster hunter stories 2 uh, i'm gonna be playing a port of a wii game called the legend of Groose. <laughs> yeah no, it's skyward sword yeah. I, i'm not i'm not at all excited <laughs> uh 
I am excited because I, I like Skyward Sword a lot. Uh, and yeah, Tori's getting that. And we'll be playing uh, Monster Hunter Stories 2 as well. So we'll hear about both of those things next week in episode 160. Okay, that's it for episode 159. Thanks for listening to the episode. If you enjoyed it, please leave us a review on iTunes. It helps us to get noticed. You can also listen on Stitcher, Spotify, and other podcast services. We're part of the game Podular Network, where you can also check out our sister shows, PlayState and The Power of X. Uh, Power of X just recently rebooted, of course. And PlayState have an episode coming up to cover the recent state of play. Make sure to join the game Podular Discord server to interact with the lively community. You can follow us on Twitter, YouTube, and at gamepodular.com for updates, news, and other content. Uh, links for all those things are in our show notes if you want to support the network and by extension our show you can buy us a coffee or become a game podular patreon details for both these things are on our website thanks in advance uh, this episode was edited by me andy corrigan you can follow me over on twitter at flame roast toast uh, you can also follow andrew over on twitter at play critically and you can also read his long form reviews over at playcritically.com our missing third panelist tori you can uh, follow her on twitter at stwtwo stew2 Squeaky chair today. Squeaky chair.